0: Let me say what I said near the beginning of the service. You should have, uh, because there's three per row, you should have one of these near you. They're basically the same thing, so don't worry. Uh, But you should have one of these called Two Ways to Live Booklet. Would you please, even at this time, make sure that you have access to one of these? I would like everybody this morning here in a few minutes to be looking at this with me if at all possible. The main thing, as always, the main thing that we want to do is to look into the Word. So so also, shame on you if you're looking at this during the main part of the sermon. The Lord knows. Uh, But we're going to look at this briefly, and you can look at it later. Um, If you've been around Crossway Church, then you know this is a favorite booklet of ours. And by all means, if you can put it to use in any way at all, then it's yours, of course. And so, in just a, in just a bit, we want to see that. If you're not already there, where David, thank you, brother, was reading for us, then please do go there to Hebrews chapter two, just in case you're not there already. Hebrews chapter two, and we have the great joy and privilege of observing uh, one of the ordinances. The Lord Jesus has given us baptism and the Lord's Supper, which both actually in their own way preach the gospel and are pictures of the gospel. So this morning uh, we have, as we do every month, we have, dr- we have a drama um, at Crossway Church, and uh, we never do the type of drama that we think of. This is the drama that we do, that pictures and enacts the gospel And so this morning, as we turn to Hebrews 2, and I wanted David to read that very important background passage, verses 1 through 4, our text today is verses 5 through 9. Our text for today is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, and I want to speak to you on the subject of all things subject to Him, okay? All things subject to Him. Or you could put it like this: uh, See Jesus. So we're looking currently. Our series is Hebrews one through six, Hebrews chapters one through six, and we want God to help us by His grace to see Jesus. Let's stand for prayer. We do that. Thank you. Let's pray together. Take a brief moment of silence. You pray, and then I'll lead us. Father, our Father, we do pray as we have been taught by Jesus, We do pray this morning that your name would be hallowed, that it would be set apart as holy in our individual lives, hearts, and minds, in our church, in this county, in this state, in our world. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, our Father, we pray for your kingdom to come. And we thank you that your kingdom has come in Jesus' And that it is coming when he returns. And we pray, Lord, for your kingdom to come. Lord, work among us this morning as Pastor Ben prayed, not because of our cleverness, not because of our strength, but in our weakness, maybe precisely in our weakness. We pray, Lord, that you would be praised, that you would show yourself strong. Help us. Help us in this series on Hebrews. Help us to see Jesus. Help us as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning. And now, as we look to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, remain standing for Hebrews 2 5. Hebrews 2 5. He says there in the middle of verse 8, in the middle of Hebrews 2 8, now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. All things subject to Him. That's our theme. That's our title this morning. All things in subjection to Christ Jesus. Hebrews 2, 5-9. through Now as I was thinking about this message, and I was, as I was thinking about the text this morning, my mind did go to something. Uh, as I said, if you're a, if you're a member, and if you've been a member for a while, you might know that we appreciate these booklets. I want to look at this with you very briefly because I think it really dovetails very nicely with this text this morning. So, as I say, both are both are basically the same. Turn with me just for a, just for a minute here. Look at the first picture inside the booklet. You should be looking at a circle which represents the world or the earth, a little man, and a little crown over the man's head. Is everybody looking at that with me? A crown on top of a little man, which is on top of a circle which represents the world and the earth. So just look at these pictures and listen. Just look and listen. This first picture says that God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world. He made us rulers of the world under him. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. But the question is, is that the way it is now? Is this picture the way things are now? And so we turn to the next picture. Do that with me. Turn to the next picture should have a man beside the world and a crown on top of each. So look at that picture and listen. We all reject the ruler God by trying to run life our own way without him. But we fail to rule ourselves or society or the world. Isaiah 53 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So when you look at that second picture... The question we should be asking is this, what will God do about this rebellion? Look at the third picture with me. Turn the page. And here you have the picture of this man lying down and this crown representing God. God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. The Bible says very clearly in Hebrews chapter 9, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. God's justice sounds hard, but... Next picture. Looking at it. Here we see the world, the earth. We see a man on top of the earth. This time it's, not any, it's just not any man, it's the God-man, Jesus. And we see the crown again representing God. Because of His love, God sent His Son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Yet by dying in our place, He took our punishment and brought forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. But that's not all, and you turn the page. That's not all should be looking at the crown with the j inside the crown crown represents god the j represents jesus god raised jesus to life again as the ruler of the world jesus has conquered death now gives new life and will return to judge in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead first peter chapter 1 well and i hope you would think about this question as well as it asks in the booklet, well, where, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? And the final picture, if you look at it with me. Two ways to live. You should be looking at the picture of two different men and two different crowns. There's two ways to live, friends. There's One way is our way. And our way is to reject the ruler, God, to try to run life our own way. And the result of living life your way is to be condemned by God to face death and judgment. There is another way, however, and it's God's new way. It's represented by the picture with the Jesus crown. Submit to Jesus as your ruler. Rely on Jesus's death and resurrection. And the result is that you would be forgiven by God and given eternal life. Because the Bible says in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And please answer even now silently if you would answer this most important question, which of these represents the way you want to live? Friends, this morning this is not me, some preacher giving you any type of sales job. This is the Word of God saying in a sense as was asked of the people of Israel in Joshua's day, choose you this day. Well, as I said, you can look at that later if you would put that aside. The first thing I want us to see from the text as we think about what we've just looked at. The first thing that I want us to see is, is verses 10 through 18. Now this is not our actual text today, but this is very important. So if you're taking notes on paper or in, or just in your head, this is the first thing, and that is verses 10 through 18. Please notice this very carefully. Hebrews chapter 2 beginning at verse 10. Would you look at the Bible? It says, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again in Hebrews 2 verse 13, I will put my trust in him. but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. Underline that word, at least in your mind, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Really, you cannot understand our passage today, which is verses 5 through 9, without also appreciating the rest of the chapter and appreciating, dear friends, that there is no cross without Christmas. And the cross presupposes that Jesus became a man. The good news of the gospel involves the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and And prior to being raised from the dead, he was crucified by the Romans and by the Jews and by us on the cross. But there is no cross unless there is Christmas. And that in one sense is what all of Hebrews chapter 2 is about. Well, the second thing that we need to see this morning, the first thing being verses 10 through 18, and seeing how important that they are. The second thing that we need to see is this is that man is created to rule over creation. Did you know that? Did you know that man is created to rule over creation? We saw that in the little booklet that we were just looking at. uh, That God created man to be his, uh, I guess if you want to be British or whatever, God created man to be his vice regent. God created man to be second in charge. God created man, when I say man, I mean male and female, to be Kings and queens of the world. God created man to rule over this world. He created man to rule over creation. And we see that in verses five through nine. But remember what the booklet said. Is that the way things are now? Well, I think our author, I think our author has a clear answer to that question. Look at this again with me. Look at it. Hebrews two, five. You encourage me with your nose in the text. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Hebrews 2.6, It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. So here's what what he's doing in verses uh, 6b and verses 6 through 8 is he is, he's taking actually from the Greek version that was common in those days, uh, so in other words, if you compare this to Psalm 8, that's what he's taking from, what Pastor Ben read, he's taking this, he's quoting Psalm 8 from the Greek version of the Old Testament that was so common, so by the way, you'd notice a little bit of difference if you read uh, Psalm 8 in your Bible, a slight difference in the The Hebrew and the Greek there. But he's quoting Psalm 8. Is it interesting? Notice what he says in verse 6. Look at that with me. It has been testified somewhere. What's that about? It has been testified somewhere. We're thinking about this second point, this second heading man is created to rule over creation. Verses 5 through 9. Does the author of Hebrews, does he not know his Bible? Does he not know from where this comes? Or, when he uses that strange language, it has been testified somewhere. Or, was Psalm 8 so common? And is Psalm 8 one of the most important passages in the Old Testament that we see pop up in multiple places in the New Testament? Not just here, but in multiple places, because we're going to see it's, it's a messianic passage. Did he, could he just say this in general? Maybe even more could he say in verse 6? It has been testified somewhere because the point is not to say this comes from Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. That's the passage. But it's to say whatever the Old Testament says, God says. Where the Bible speaks, God speaks. So, just by the way, it's he, not just being vague. It's not because he's ignorant of where this comes from in the Bible. He knows his Bible. He says it's been testified somewhere because, of the, because Psalm 8 was common and because wherever the Old Testament speaks, God speaks even to us today through Jesus Christ. Man is created to rule over creation. Do you see that there in the text? Do you see that in the text as he's quoting Psalm 8? Uh, don't just take my word for it. He says again in verse 6, What is man that you are mindful of him or the Son of Man... That you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. This is the sadness of the world that we live in. Friends, it's because you and I have made a royal mess of things. And that's important. We've made a royal mess of things because we are, in a sense, royalty. We, we have, we're created with this dignity and we've rebelled against God. We've, we've made a mess of things. We've, we've put the crown on our own head. We said, God, no, thank you. I'll do things the way that I see fit. But the fact is in creation, in creation, God created everything good. The pinnacle of His creation was man, male and female, and He created us to rule over everything. He created us to rule over everything in His world. Now we need to come back to that, but number three. Now, trek with me in the Word. The first thing was verses 10 through 18. The second thing, and the key thing that we were just starting to notice, the key thing that we were just starting to notice is that man is created to rule creation. Here's the third thing. Let's not get too far into verses 5 through 9 until I say, Remember to beware of spiritual drift. Which is to say, remember verses 1 through 4. Don't forget about verses 1 through 4. Look at verse 4. It says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. What's he talking about there? He's talking about in verse 4 and in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4, he's talking about when the gospel was first preached, it was actually first preached by Jesus Himself, and then the eyewitnesses to Jesus, the apostles, who were eyewitnesses to His resurrection and to His life, they preached the gospel. And you read the book of Acts and they preached in power. They preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. God help us even today. And it says God Himself bore witness to the message. So there, there's, it's, it's okay for Christians to doubt, but we cannot doubt the clarity of the gospel. The clarity of the gospel, the deity of Jesus Christ, His death on the cross. And so verses 1-4 through four are calling us to beware as Christians of drift. Now, Pastor Ben mentioned this past Wednesday, and if you were here with with us, then you'll remember this. But let me remind us all of what Jim Eliff said. Listen. He said, I once knew a famous classical musician who played for one of our major city orchestras. He was in everyone's mind a devout believer. He knew a lot about doctrine and often contributed to the discussions and leadership of his church. But he drifted. So he's a great musician, he's a contributor to the community at large, he's a good citizen in the community, he's a good citizen and member of the church, helping the leadership, contributing to talks, even even doctrinal talks, but he drifted. In fact, he drifted so far away that he could not find the beach again. He is still out there as far as I know. Divorced now from the beautiful family he once loved away from the believing people of God who sought so diligently to bring him back, away from all that is beautiful and enriching in Christ, away from the hope of heaven. His drifting took him that far away, far enough to discover that he was not a true believer at all, nor had he ever been. Look at me. Don't take my word for this. This illustration may hit you the wrong way. When Jim Elliff says this man drifted so far to discover that he was... Not a true believer at all. The Word of God is clear. There's five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. To whom are they addressed? To believers. To professing Christians. Remember, look at, look at verse 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we, who's we? Believers, Christians. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The New Testament nowhere teaches that an initial acceptance of the saving message is sufficient sufficient without perseverance in faith. There's plenty of churches and plenty of Christians who teach that, but the Bible, the New Testament, never teaches, listen, that an initial acceptance of the saving message is sufficient without perseverance in faith. Man, that's hard. Man, is God just looking to... Crush us? No, he's actually looking to give us his people hope and to keep us in the way, the only way of happiness. So he gives these warnings to believers. We must not drift from the faith or neglect our great salvation. I spent I spent a few minutes on that because again, when we look at one text of smaller text like verses five through nine, we probably need to pay attention all the more to the context. And we see that there in verses 1 through 4. Don't forget about verses 1 through 4. Spiritual drift. Dear brother and sister, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And he calls us to endure, not by pulling up our bootstraps, but He calls us to endure by looking to Him. Have you ever ever looked to Him for the first time? Have you ever truly repented of your sins and put your trust in God through Jesus Christ who who died on the cross and who, who bore the wrath of God and who was raised from the dead, who ascended into heaven, who is coming again? Have you ever looked at Him for the first time? Well, then keep looking. Keep looking. The key in this passage, verses 5 through 9, I want you to see the key in this passage, and it is the word subjection. Look again at verses 5 through 9. Man is created to rule over creation. Man is created to rule over creation. Look at this. Notice this word four times. For it was not to angels, verse 5, that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the Son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection. There it is. Do you see it? Sometimes it's as simple as just noticing what is repeated. This is the key. This is the key right here. That's why, that's why the title this morning, All Things Subject to Him. Verse 5, It was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Verse 8, Verse 8, Putting everything in subjection under His feet. Middle of verse 8, Now in putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. Now go with me here. Look at this. Some people would say that in Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, he doesn't get around to talking about Jesus until verse 9. Some people would say he's talking about mankind in general, and then he makes a great point about Jesus in verse 9. Well, first of all, look at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. And I disagree a little bit with those who say that verses 5-8 through eight is only about man and, and, and then when you get to verse 9 it's about Jesus. At the very least, I think we should read verse 9 which is clearly about Jesus and then we should go back to verses 5-8 through eight and say, hmm. So I think we should read verse 9 clearly about Jesus and then go back and you see, he's quoting Psalm 8 in verse 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, or what? Or the Son of Man? Do you see that? That you care for him? Matthew chapter 8, John chapter 1, verse 51. You don't have to turn there. But let me just read this to you. You could look just for two examples. The Son of Man. Just two examples would be Matthew chapter 8 and John chapter 1, verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So when you read Hebrews 2, 5-9 through and when you see that he's clearly talking about Jesus in verse 9, and if you take my encouragement and then you go back and you see there's hints here. No, I'm not saying that in Psalm 8 when he said Son of Man. In Psalm 8, he just meant basically a man. He's saying the same thing. But he's clearly thinking about Jesus, I say, all the way throughout. What am I saying? What point am I trying to make? I'm trying to make this point. That God created man, male and female, with supreme dignity. The pinnacle of His creation. To rule over everything and very quickly, very quickly things begin to go wrong. And our author is clearly aware of that. He's clearly aware of the fall. He's aware of the fall, but he's also aware of God's Amazing grace through Jesus. And so what he's saying is, listen, God's design for humanity, even though the fall, is still there. And it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But we see Him. Verse 9, you see that. But we see Him. What's the key? It's really very simple. It's very simple. Look at verse 15. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong savior. There it is again, right? All of us through fear of death. You and I are not controlled. We, we don't have dominion over this world. We are more like we're, we're dominated. We're dominated in our sin. We don't have dominion over this world the way we were created to do. And the thing that makes that the most clear is that we have no power over death and the grave. It's appointed to man once to die. Again, verse 15, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. But what he's saying in verses 5-9 through is that God's original purposes have not fallen to the ground because Jesus is man. Jesus is man. He's the God-man. And we see Him who for a little while, would you turn with me for just a moment? To Psalm chapter eight, keep your place here. Turn to Psalm eight and we will not linger here long. Turn to Psalm chapter eight. Remember what have I been saying over and over? Man is created to rule over creation. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2, is quoting from Psalm 8, 4 through 6. So just glance at that, Psalm 8, 4 through 6. That's what he's quoting. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than God. Friends, what is this psalm about? This psalm is about man, but it's about God. Look at the the last verse of Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Look at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, You have established strength because of Your foes. Listen to it now. Thank you, Julio. Thank you. Listen to it. That's verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. By the way, Jesus picks this up in Matthew chapter 21. To steal the enemy and the avenger. Friends, this is a messianic psalm, which means thousands and thousands of years ago. Ultimately, this is pointing forward to Jesus Christ, the God-man. Now, here's two truths that you need to remember. Here's two truths. The facts on the ground are this, are these. The facts on the ground are these. We are more dominated than we have dominion over this earth, which is what we were created to have dominion. Man does not rule over creation like Psalm 8 says. But you know what? It was always God anyway. Psalm 8 9, Psalm 11, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God created man, God rules over all creation. God intended us to rule over creation. God sent His Son Jesus and all things are subject to Him, but we walk by faith. We don't see it now. We don't see it now, but it's true. Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. So the fact of the matter is that man does rule over creation. Man does rule over creation. So what? So, my brother and sister, or you who are here this morning, who are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, listen to me. God is in control. Jesus commands my destiny. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell. No scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Earlier in that same poem or hymn, he said this, In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. You know what, Hebrews 2, 5 through 9, I'm done with Psalm 8 for now, by the way, I'm done with that. You know what Hebrews 2, 5 through 9 is about? It's about Jesus. It's about all things being subject to Jesus. We walk by faith. We don't see that now. We don't see that now. But here's what it's about, and this is not original with me. It's about Jesus Christ, his humiliation. It's about Jesus Christ, his exaltation. That's Hebrews 2, 5 through 9. His humiliation, or you could say His incarnation. Philippians chapter 2, He humbled Himself even to the point of death. He took on the form of a man. This is what Hebrews chapter 2 is about. He, He humbled Himself. He identified with us fully in our humanity. What is this all about today? It's about Jesus Christ, His humiliation, which includes His death on the cross, it's about his exaltation. Did you see how the author applies Psalm 8 to Jesus? Beginning in the middle of verse 8. Did you see that? In the middle of Hebrews 2.8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. The facts on the ground that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father now, that he rules now, that he's coming again. His humiliation and his exaltation and the consummation in verse 5. And this is where we started, the consummation in verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. What's he been talking about this whole time? He's been talking about the world to come. And he says, Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than angels. We've been talking about the world to come, he says. But it was not subjected to angels. It was subjected to the Son. And we see Jesus in his humiliation in his exaltation and in the consummation. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is in control. Jesus rules and reigns. We walk by faith. Jesus tasted death for everyone. As we see here this morning, let's pray together and then we'll meditate on the Lord's Supper.